Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast may contain strong language and matter of an aggressively artistic nature. Bringing you insightful interviews from industry insiders across the arts. This is Dark Unicorn in Conversation. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Dark Unicorn in Conversation. If, like me, you were a child of the 80s, if you had any access whatsoever to British TV, it would have been hard to miss the Saturday night staple that was 321. I'm terribly sorry, I, I can't do the, the, the finger thing, really. It's, I, I apologise. It, as a show, is remembered principally for three things. The outrageously abstruse riddles contestants had to solve in order to maybe win the top prize. It's plucky mascot Dusty Bin, who sat in on the interview you're about to see. And it's jovial Mr Entertainment host, the comedian Ted Rogers, always present with a well-cut suit and a tint in the hair. Of course, Ted's own career was far more than just this show. He was a song and dance man as well as a comedian whose work took him around the world, working with the very top names in show business. Ted died in 2001 at the age of 64. He left behind four children, two from his first marriage and two from his second. The youngest of these, Danny Rogers, was just 11. He faced a childhood not only without the father he idolised, but with what had been a fairly blissful childhood taking an altogether more comprehensively traumatic turn. Now 30 years old, Danny Rogers is a well-respected young actor in his own right, with a particular affinity for panto and family entertainment. As well as being a Christmas time regular, he's also one of the presenters of the touring version of The Sooty Show, and has been touring his one-man show about his father, Bin and Gone, over the last couple of years. When we sat down to chat recently, we started, as we so often do, with his childhood, and whether it was particularly charmed, given what he was born into. Danny, would you say, I mean, obviously up to the, the point um, that you were 11, would you say that you had a charmed childhood, or was it much as any other, really? Um, well, I guess it was different to what you call the norm, I suppose, uh, in the fact that uh, most people's parents they come home from work and then you and then you sort of go off on holidays as you as you would whereas for me uh for when it was sort of broken up from school i would be joining my dad and sort of watching him in summer seasons or 
or Christmas pantomimes and uh, and things like that, and learning how to like push buttons that would make a an oven blow up in a <laughs> in a scene or something. Um, so I guess that isn't <laughs> the stereotype norm. But then, obviously, out of uh, that creative side of the entertainment world, uh, I would it would it would basically be the same as anybody other playing football with my dad or going to see my mates. So a, a bit of both, I would say. You've got the you've got the other side of the entertainment factor, but then you've got the normal set of a child of going to school each day, coming back, doing your homework. Um, and nine times out of ten, my dad would be away working anyway, so I wouldn't sort of see him as such. Mm. Um, but I think. I think it probably would have been a lot different if my dad was still doing three, two, one when I was growing up. That would probably be a lot different. But I think because the show had finished by then, he was sort of busy doing sort of other sort of seasonal seasonal shows and one nighters. Mm. Um, so I think for that, for me, it didn't I guess didn't show that much difference to any other person in that way. Right? Because three, two, one ended in eighty-eight, was it? Yes, 88, yeah, the Christmas uh, episode of that year, that was the last last one, so they just did sort of specials at that moment, but yeah, 80, 88 was the last 3-2-1 episode that was made. And you came along shortly after? 89. 89, oh my <laughs> gosh. Um, yes. Do you, do you remember the first time you were conscious of seeing live performance? Um, I guess... Uh, I guess it would have been from pantomime, essentially, really. Um, my birthday is a week before Christmas. Um, so, and uh, Dad always, that time, would be working. So for me, it would be a case of, right, your birthday's coming up. Uh, Dad's working in, in the show, and you get a chance to sort of see, sort of, backstage and, and obviously, out front. So um, that is the only early memory I can think of being in the theatre. Um, but I loved it. I mean, silly as it sounds, I used to watch the, the same pantomime show uh, of the season literally every day, and I wouldn't get bored. And my dad was like, "You, you know the, you know the story better than we do." <laughs> but by the end of like the uh, the text and everything, but no, I just loved it. Uh, anything I could do to be a part of it, um, which was amazing. Hilariously, my sister and I, we always used to uh, join dad in the song sheet. Oh. Uh, so. Um, that's the part of the show where the comic or the dame gets some children up and they do a song with them, interview them, ask them where they're from. Um, and then they get a little prize at the end. And my sister and I always knew it was, oh, it's this time, it's this time. So we would, <laughs> we would then try and get our way down to the front. And uh, we both were up there and he was interviewing my sister. And so going, oh, where are you from? Oh, what's your name? And then after a while she went, well, come on, you should know, you're my father. And then the whole <laughs> place just erupted, which is... Uh, which is lovely, but yeah, that, that's the earliest memory of, I, I can remember of sort of being in a in a in a theatre and watching actors and singers and dancers for the very first time. Um, and then after that, for me, I guess it was sort of summer seasons really, um, and I sort of loved doing it. So when it came to a chance for a school play, I would be the first one to go. Yes, I would like to be. I'd like to be on there. I'd like to be doing what they're doing. And. Um... Your sister, I gather, didn't quite get the bug the same way you did. Uh, she did, she did, but I think she's, uh, I think she's more sensible than I am. <laughs> I think she, I think she likes the nine to five, but she still does uh, plays in between that. So she's still uh, very much um, include up with that. She 
was, she's just moved to Spain, but she was part of the uh, Drip Action Theatre Company that put on shows that are down at the Arundel Festival, Ooh. as well as sort of musicals and things. So she still delves into it from time to time, but does like the sort of structure as well. Was there any part of you, because I mean, obviously, although 321 had finished when you uh, came along, yeah, um, your father was still and still is for many of us, particularly of a second generation, um, incredibly recognisable. Was there ever any part of you that resented having to share him with the rest of the country? Uh, I guess, I guess, from being like a young boy, I guess sort of only from him having to go away. I, I imagine. I mean, I, from having to go away to work, although I knew why he had to, but it was just a shame that it would be home one minute and then got to go off again. Um, but no, I never, I never sort of resented him giving anybody, any, anyone else any time. Because um, I think he was very sort of fair, like as soon as somebody would say or something, then he would do it, um, an autograph or a picture. But no, I, I, guess I, I guess I sort of thought that was part of the norm from growing up in some ways. Um, but I know that he, oh, from my mind anyway, I never saw him ever turn anybody down. So no, not today, thank you. He would always be open to sort of discussion. I mean, hilariously, um, <laughs> somebody said when he was out having dinner with him, he could see someone through the window opposite, sort of trying to get his attention. And halfway through his meal, he went he went out and, and said hello to them and uh, gave them a little picture or what have you. And they went off and he went back and sat to his meal. And I know some people don't like that or do that, but. Um, my dad was a little bit different in that sort of way. As I, I remember hearing and seeing an interview with Vincent Price's daughter. Yes. Was, of course, he, he similarly never turned anyone away. And uh, he said it was, she said it was coming up to her birthday one year. It was her 14th birthday. And he said, right. no, I, now I'm making you the promise. He said, we're going to go to Disneyland for the day. And I'm not going to sign a single autograph. The whole day is going to be about you. You've been so patient all this time. I'm not going to do it. And she said, it got to about an hour and a half in. <laughs> where he turned away already about a dozen people. And the end, she said to Dad, today is going to be so much easier if you just say yes. She <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> said, it's, it's much harder to watch you say no. Than it is. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's sad also because it's... It, I, 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 and I can understand it. It's, it's the fact that... It's important as well because those those fans have invested so much time in watching you as well that you you don't it's that it's that first meeting of you essentially uh, because they feel that you know you're, they are part of your family because they see you in your in your home essentially um, so so yes it's it's that difficult balance I suppose uh, given with that but I guess if you if you know what what it's all about then I suppose it's a lot easier for the family or or friends in that sort of way. I mean, hilariously, actually, my dad's um, best friend, when they were out having a coffee um, and I was with them, there was a couple next to them, opposite. And my dad's best mate said to them, doesn't this man look a lot like Ted Rogers? And they both looked and went, he does, he does. And then before he left, he went, have a nice day. <laughs> and thought of it that it was just somebody who looked like him, didn't think for a minute it was him. <laughs> So, sort of playing tongue in cheek with that as well, really. You, um, uh, you have 
a show that you tour around for those that haven't already seen it that are watching this. You have a show that you tour around about your dad and about yes. your his place in your life and vice versa, uh, been and gone. Um, and as anyone who has seen it will know, everything changed very dramatically almost overnight when your father died in 2001. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, well, my mum, she was uh, mentally unwell. She had a horse accident um, uh, back in the um, late 70s, and um, which sort of triggered um, her having schizophrenia. So my dad sort of in the behind, obviously, his iconic image, he was looking after his, his wife, but um, due to... Uh, three to one being axed and the recession kicking in. My dad invested some money um, into a TV company business which um, folded. So I had a lot of debt and um, things within that as well. So uh, yes, it was it was difficult in the fact that the man who sort of held everything together for our family sort of was gone. So um, um, in the sort of long short of it, friends and family did step in, but it was unsustainable. So um, we were then put into care to help us uh, within that time, really. Um, and I luckily have had uh, and have uh, foster parents. And uh, my mum is 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 well and safe. Uh, she's now in a home, but she's she's always always well as can be, which is the which is the main thing. But things could have gone a lot worse than what they did. So thank goodness uh, for uh, the support that we had and continue to have, uh, which has been the main thing. Um, but yeah, it's that sort of sort of parallel on the fact that my dad had struggle, and then sort of me having struggle from eleven-year-old boy to to now, essentially, uh, sort of managing to sort of get a degree behind me and following in his footsteps. I don't think anybody sort of saw that coming, hoping it would, but didn't think that was going to be the case. So that's what's uh, in the show, and the fact that you can't be a, nobody's immune to these things. You could be, you could be a, a I don't know, an iconic image like my dad was, but it doesn't mean to say that you are immune to things happening to you or illnesses happening to a person. It's, 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 it's sad, but it's how you overcome that. And that's what we like to, that's what I like to show in the, in the show, that it's a case of you've, you've got the cards that you're dealt with, but you don't uh, just stop it from there. You, you keep battling through. And that's, that's what we... That's why I like to show in the show anyway, is the fact that we've got a, a father and son relationship, but then um, sadly everybody does lose a parent, but how do you progress into that and where do you go from, from there really? Um, so, I, so with the show, everybody's sort of going on the same journey that I'm sort of recreating uh, as 11-year-old Danny into, uh, into a 30-year-old Danny now. Did you or ever... 21, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> 21 again. Um, did you ever during that period, did you ever feel angry about the position that you were left in? Uh, it, was, it was hard, yes. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't easy to begin with. Um, like many people, you know, you, you, I guess you do get angry and frustrated and the fact that you, you sort of reflect and go, God, what's... You know, it's, it's just isn't fantastic here. But then, as I said, lucky enough, we had loads of people who were there to support us and help us through. And knew, and knew about the family, and knew about my dad and what the man, what he was like, really. Um, uh, 
and I guess a sort of a split second was, but then in the fact that we sort of had um, scholarships that we could carry on our schooling at um, private education that my dad really was like working hard for, we were very lucky that that, that could be the case. Um, so I guess a little bit at the time, but then we had kind of swallowed that behind us and then carried on really. You you just touched there on, on the um, educational provision that you had and, and you were saved not only by the intervention of um, amazing foster parents and your family and friends pulling together, but also two very important charities that I know you're um, very keen to help promote. Do you want to tell us about them? Yes, yeah, so they're both um, the Royal uh, National Children's Foundation and the Readham Trust. Uh, and they are both charities that help um, uh, children who are who have a who are they're looking after a parent who's not well or got or fallen on difficult times, um, and uh, these charities sort of um, help those uh, children uh, go into boarding school and gives them sort of a bit more of uh, a normal sort of children's life, as it were. It gives them a new way of sort of um, dealing with things and giving them a bit of a bit of uh, respite from that really and be able to sort of focus on their studies um, and sort of become uh, a bit more uh, intellectual in that sort of department into them be and then to going on to the next step so they don't get sort of focused on looking after their their parent or their or their sister in sort of needs as well as parents who who want their children to succeed but need the support there but can't financially do that without uh, these charities helping them in their time of need, really. Um, so it's amazing to hear people's stories um, when I go to these sort of conferences and how they've, how well they've achieved from the situation that they're in that I can completely empathise with to where they are now is is amazing. So those charities, for what they do, is just brilliant, really. That's the Royal National Children's Foundation and the freedom trust freedom trust well there will be information uh, in the description below in this video uh, for anybody who wants to find out more about their work and how they can help support it um, i uh when i was was doing my homework for this i watched uh, the interview that you gave a couple of years ago to neil sean where you said that you'd spent your sort of spent your childhood wanting to be a mini Ted Rogers, but how much your desire to be in the performing arts, particularly after his death, uh, came from wanting to follow in his footsteps, and how much of it was just your own natural love of it? Um, well, well, my dad, he was a lover for uh, Danny Kaye, uh, where who I'm named after. There's no coincidences. <laughs> that's that's who I'm named after. But um, but yes, my uh, that he would do a tribute show to Danny Kay and I would learn these uh, songs and we'd get him to listen outside the door. I wouldn't get him in and get his opinion on what he thought about them. thought they were great. But obviously, yes, when he passed away, that sort of hero there of what my ambition was, uh, was gone. But I think from there, my dad sort of passed away and then performing, it was my way of, I guess, expressing myself so even more of an influence came from wanting to be uh, on the stage. Um, and I guess it was sort of musicals, really. That was the sort of line I, I sort of started to go into. 
I guess even now I find things easier if somebody goes, right, here's a script and, and then perform it. It's a different, people go, oh, you completely change from who you are off stage to who you are on stage. Um, but I guess it's different. You rehearse things. Whereas if you're in, if you're talking to somebody like I am now, this isn't, this isn't rehearsed really. Uh, so you never know what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, musicals were sort of, uh, I was starting to get clued up with my uh, friends uh, and his family. They would sort of take me to go and see shows. So I, that's, I guess, my first influence from there. And then, then um, always loved, as I said, doing pantomime. So that was the first sort of uh, amateur dramatics that I did outside of my school. Um, then I knew that I wanted to get into sort of training. So then went to Chichester University where I did a musical theatre degree. Um, and then as soon as I left there in 2012, I thought, right, okay, well, the next season coming up is pantomime. So started going around to auditioning and got myself into a touring production of uh, Dick Whittington and got the title lead, which was quite nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, and just sort of seemed to build from there. But hilariously, the funny thing is, is that I don't understand I'm doing it, but people will say to me, well, we've got the same mannerisms as your dad has, mm. which obviously goes back to when he was in summer season, there'd been me in the wings mimicking exactly what he was doing <laughs> in his routine. It's obviously still embedded in me, really. Um, so yeah, going back to your question of noticing things, of picking up from that, I guess I have, but not on purpose in that sort of way it's just my dna essentially really um, um but yeah i guess our paths are quite similar in the fact that we've both done pantos and summer seasons and uh musical full-time musical i guess the only thing that my dad hasn't done as far as i'm aware is is musicals mm. that's the only thing i i'm sure that he hadn't done in his career i could be wrong there might be something online that might pop up that i didn't know of but as far as i'm aware that's that's not been the case oh uh, you've you've talked very affectionately about you know seeking to doing panto and um what, what is it about panto you do you think that makes it still such a perennial favorite what, what is it that you love about it particularly uh i think i love about pantomime most paddy i think it's because well, for me especially, that was the first thing that I saw going going to a theatre. So I know many people say it, but it's absolutely true as a fact that's the first thing for a child to see live. And that is so important for them as well as for you, is the fact that you inspire people to do what you're doing, to keep live theatre going. Because that person may go, I, I may not like pantomime, but I like what they're doing. So I might want to become a musician. I might want to become an actor. I, I, might, be, I might want to become somebody who works backstage or, or the lighting. It might be so many elements in there, regardless of what's going on. But I think also with pantomime, what makes it special is the fact that it is literally for everybody. It's not just for a certain few, it's for everybody. There's always something in there. There's an innuendo that's in there. There's a, there's a topical joke. There's a uh, pop song that can be embedded in there. There's, there's sketches that are in there. Um, and what's nice is that you've got all these different acts all into one show. You've got a comic, you've got a singer, you've got a dancer and a specialty actor. I think there's nothing else that's like it. And, and hilariously, the audience love it when it goes wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you, couldn't do a, you couldn't do a Shakespeare and something go wrong, they would slam you for it. But if it's pantomime, anybody's just waiting for it to happen <laughs> which I always find 
especially as a child, I thought it hilarious if anything went wrong. So I would always be, ah, they got it wrong. <laughs> I think so also, I, do, you, do you find that the, and I know it can be different and difficult with some of the, um, the big pro pantos that, that some of the, you know, the QDOS type companies produce. Sure, yes. There's always, I think the, the ones that I've seen, which I've always loved, have been the ones that really tap into the local communities that they're playing to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's nice because they go, oh, yes, oh, we're gonna have, you're going to have a pop at so-and-so, yeah. or you're going to have a go at what's up the road. I think that's brilliant like, because, as you said, it makes it, it makes it more special because it's part of them. They feel that like this show is for them. It's not for the masses or anything like that. It's literally just for them for sitting watching. It could be just two people watching it, for example, because they know it's for them personally. It's not as a commercialized thing. So yes, I completely agree with that. And the fact that I think it's um, brilliant to have sort of local references or local jokes in, um, especially if there's something that's been going on in the town that it's very topical that someone has a joke at. I think that's fantastic, which as you said, some, some big companies may not do that. They may, they may not be in that clued up about it or it might not work for that particular venue. Who knows? I don't know. But yeah, I certainly think that's, I certainly think that's nice because it makes it, as we said, more special to the audience that they're playing to. What would be your dream role? Yeah, oh gosh, that's a, that's a question, isn't it? Uh, what would be my dream role? Um, uh, I mean, I, I loved it, and I think, yeah, I know I've already played it, but I'd love to do it again. I would love to play the MC in, in Cabaret on the West oh, wow. End. That would be that would be a marvellous part to, to recreate again. I had a great time doing that when I was at uh, university in my training. So, yes, I would love to re reprise that role out of the... Mm. Out the out the cupboard, as they say, yeah, that'd be uh, that would be amazing to redo that. He's a great role. It's a great brother's yeah. stage version as well, even more so, really. Yes, I think there's you can obviously with the, the film ones is brilliant, but as you said, I think yeah, with the with the stage one, you can obviously play more because you've got the audience audience there. And what's nice is every time it it, it always has a different uh, adaptation onto it. Whoever seems to do it, everyone's got a different sort of mindset of what they want. Um, so forth. So I think there's a little bit you can play around with the MC in certain ways. Um, but yeah, I loved doing that part. That was brilliant. Um, how how have you been coping with lockdown? Uh, well, I, I would say my gardens never look so good. <laughs> <laughs> um, just trying to keep busy, really. I suppose um, I've been uh, hilariously. I've been recreating some. Uh, uh, I've been recreating a three-to-one online quiz. Mm. Um, so I've been uh, getting sort of uh, celebrity sort of guests who have been reading out some clues and getting, getting some sort of friends who've been, uh, who are other sort of actors and performers doing some performances. And then me just doing some silly little intro bit at the beginning and sort of linking them all together. So that some people can break up their day if they're on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever, they can have a, have a little bit of entertainment to their hands and they can have a little think, right, okay, what does this absurd clue mean? Um, and then I then reveal the answer a few hours later. So it's just a bit of, bit of fun and it just breaks out the day, um, really. Um, so for, anybody so, who, for anybody who might want to go through the back issues of that and, and then and catch up with you, where would they find that? 
so you'll find them on uh, on YouTube. Uh, I've uploaded them all up there. So they're called uh, three to one online quizzes. And I think at the moment we've got about I think it's 16 episodes, I think. So each one's numbered. So it, it might be funny actually to <laughs> see the answer of the clue first and then, <laughs> and, then, and, then and then watch what it's supposed to be and work it through that way. Um, <laughs> but yes, they're all, they're all up there just for a bit of fun for anybody who's, who's passing on wanting a few minutes just to sort of uh, kill or whatnot, just to entertain them throughout the day. You have had, you've had some quite starry participants, haven't you, helping you out with that? Yes, I've been very, very lucky who's, who's been willing to, uh, to go, go along with my madness. Um, I've had uh, uh, John Chalice, who's been on, uh, Sean Williamson. Um, I've had um, uh, Anthony Costa, he's been another one. Um, so quite sort of diverse sort of uh, characters and then had uh, sort of people who've been performing, either been singers, sort of tap dancers. Uh, jug jugglers. I had a, a guy who's a great juggler called Tommy J, who did last week's episode. Who's uh, fantastic. So it's nice to get sort of variety, sort of back out there, really, um, and uh, sort of to maybe a new new generation who's who's watching. Who knows? But just a good bit of fun. What What would you like to see come out of this current crisis in terms of the arts? What, what would you like to see the far side of this? I guess what I would like to see is how much the general public sort of turn to it in times of need, really. I think I, I, I think um, people seem to uh, forget or maybe take for granted of how much we need entertainment in our lives. I think everybody, certainly, obviously, we can't see, <coughs> excuse me, uh, live shows, but everybody I'm certain has been watching Netflix, YouTube, um, uh, uh, obviously, Andrew Lloyd Webber's musicals he's been playing out every week. I'm sure loads of people have been watching those. So I think people need to sort of see that it's a big part of our lives is entertainment and we shouldn't take that for granted and we, we need to embrace it with both hands that it needs to keep going. We can't let it die. But obviously I appreciate there's other things that need to be looked after as well. But I feel that certainly with uh, theatre and once theatres can and will reopen people need to go and support their local theatre and make sure it does keep going and go and see more more shows and maybe maybe um, change what you normally watch if you if you are a theatre regular and if you're not maybe go okay we don't normally see uh, a play let's go and see a let's go and see a, see a Shakespeare or we don't normally see a we do always see a Shakespeare let's go watch a, a classical piece of music or or a pantomime, go, go diverse and see what things are out there. And I'm sure that loads of people, especially at the moment being in lockdown, I would say there's probably even more creative stuff going out there that people can see that's diverse and what, they, what is normally out there, really. Um, and I guess the beauty with it as well, in some ways, is that people have been managing to make different platforms for themselves by doing it. They've managed to find their niches and what they like doing and what they want to perform. Um, so yeah, I would definitely say that I don't, I, I think people need to make sure that it's not a thing that goes away. We need to make sure that it's keep, it keeps going and support it in any way you can. Your, um, your dad played a few Tory party conferences in his time. Do you think he'd he have did, accepted yes. from this lot? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, say that again, buddy. He'd have accepted an invitation from the current crop. <laughs> 
Um, if the money is good. That's a question. I don't know. Uh, I it's guess off. it's tricky, isn't it? I guess maybe if it wasn't if it wasn't something that was political, then he probably would. But I guess it being with the crisis that it's in, it probably would be something, but <laughs> political maybe because of his topical humour. So I don't know if I'm honest, really. Uh, <laughs> that is a very yeah. That's a, that is a question. Um, yeah, I'm afraid I don't think I can answer that to the best of my ability, really. Unfortunately, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it's sad because I didn't know my dad so well in the fact of what he would be political-wise in this sort of uh, debate and whether he might have changed his way. I don't know. I honestly don't know. That was deeply you know, unfair of me to even ask. I'm so sorry about that. Um, but your your pride in his life and work is, is always obvious for all to see. And, and without denigrating that at all, do you do you want, by the time you come to the end of your career, Hmm. To have been recognised by the industry and audiences as Danny Rogers rather than as Ted Rogers' son. Um, yes, I would do. I would like to. Uh, I guess I'd like to people with maybe in a two-way street, maybe to go. Oh, his his dad was Ted Rogers, but he is Danny Rogers in his own way as well. But they're both great in what they do. Hmm. Um, maybe quite a similar sort of thing. Maybe not so much, I suppose. Uh, is that I know Michael McIntyre's dad, Ray Cameron, was a brilliant comic in the 70s. Um, and then obviously he's gone on to be a com comic in his, in his own right. And I suppose only a certain select few would know of his, of his dad. And I guess with his fame now, maybe people might know a bit more. So I don't know if it might be something like that, maybe in the fact that obviously by the time I get into, uh, I don't know, later on in my career, I mean, I mean, it would be nice, but I don't think my dad's name may be around as as mm. as as much. But then, if if my name starts to get out, then then maybe his name might be getting out as well. So I guess there's a a, a two way street in that sort of department, really. And the fact that it's I I I mean, I know quite a few people. They shy away from it in some ways. Like I know Joe Pasquale has a very talented son, and in his own right, Joe Trasini. And I know that obviously they've switched, but I oh, think the difference. I didn't know he was Joe's son. Uh, yeah. Yes, he's, he's I think the performer. He's brilliant, really, really funny. But I think that's it. Is the fact that maybe if Dad was still alive today, I guess maybe I would sort of do it in a different way. But because I lost my dad when I was eleven, um, and see him as my hero and always will do, I guess it's me sort of going, look, I, I love and admire my dad, and. At the end of the day, I can't help who I'm related to. <laughs> you look at my face, you know exactly who, <laughs> who I'm related to within an instant, really. I mean, hilariously, though, one person did, did say in a review, going, oh, I've noticed you've been doing Been and Gone. Um, how, what was it like being uh, playing Ted Rogers? And didn't know, didn't know that I was his son, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> it was very funny. At what point did they put two together on the same name on the CV? That's that. No, no, it did make me laugh. <laughs> I thought the eyebrows were a dead giveaway, but clearly not. Going <laughs> um, into a slightly different part of the interview, um, we 
2020 has obviously tragically carried off a lot of people. One of the people who's carried, been carried off by, in 2020 was James Lipton, who uh, founded the famous Inside the Actors Studio um, programme and, and class. Um, and he would end every interview with the same 10 questions before he'd open the floor. Um, and I'm just going to, I've decided I'm going to nick those. And seeing as he nicked them before, um, yeah. I have no, no qualms about stealing them from him. So what's your favourite word? Favourite word? Uh, fantastic. And your least favourite word? Uh, pardon. <laughs> I, I don't know why, it just is. I don't know why. Don't question it, it's fine. I do uh, say sorry, I am polite, I promise. <laughs> oh no, that's absolutely fine. Um, the, uh, well, here's a question that can be viewed in very many different ways and answered whichever way you wish. What turns you on? Live entertainment. And off? Uh, Gemma Collins. <laughs> Gemma, there's one for you there. Um, Sorry, <laughs> I'm um, going to get letters now. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Uh, I guess it's children's laughter, I suppose. It's got to be, really. And what sound or noise do you hate? Uh, Neighbours doing DIY. <laughs> what is your favourite swear word? Dominic Cummings. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's half the audience gone. <laughs> I can assure you, if it's anything like our core audience, you'll have lost almost nobody. Um, All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Ooh. Maybe a pilot, I think. And what it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's only won't be happening for Dominic Cummings because you do need very good vision. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm going to need it. <laughs> what profession would you absolutely not want to, to undertake? Ooh. A mathematician. And um, leaving aside any, any particular beliefs you may or may not have, uh, if when your time comes and you discover that heaven exists, mm. what would you most like to hear said to you when you arrive? Uh, welcome to paradise. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, we've had a, a handful of, of questions sent in by people. Um, the first one, and I mean, we, uh, no one who, who knows who he is can fail to notice the presence of Dusty Bin in frame here <laughs> behind you. <laughs> um, Hidden, lurking behind me. Lurking behind. Um, <laughs> The, uh, this comes from uh, Julie in Aberystwyth. Um, she says, if ITV came to you with an offer to front a revival of 321, would you do it? Uh, I guess I would do, but I, I, I would like to know what they're going to do with it, I guess, in some ways. It's got to be modernised. It couldn't be. It couldn't be as it was. It well, certainly has to be modernised. You still have to have Dusty and the Clues in it, especially. Uh, there are fewer Vauxhall Nobas made these days. <laughs> I think whip them out. Why not? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Collectors' items now. A, yes. Um, <laughs> yes. The, uh, uh, also linked to that, um, uh, Dan from Walthamstow. 
uh, asks, um, and I happen to know the answer to this because I've seen your show, um, and said, how, on a three to one level, how is his finger work? <laughs> uh, it's not too bad. That one's all right as well. <laughs> you used to race your dad, didn't you, to do that? I, I did, yes. Hilariously, I don't, I don't actually remember learning to do it. All I can remember was racing with him to do it. <laughs> and he would, he would always win, so <laughs> I had no chance. Uh, we had two people send in similar, similar questions here. Luke from Portsmouth um, was asked, as a Sooty Show presenter, how difficult is it to act against the world's most famously silent bear? It's, strangely, it's, it's not really. Um, I, if, if anything, for me, I found it very surreal in the fact that from watching Sooty as a kid, and he's literally within a, a metre with, well, it not just a few inches away from me, and I'm reacting to it. But I, I guess it wasn't so much to me because I guess from watching it as a kid, I believed in Sooty, and as silly as this may sound, I still believed in in talking to him, even though it's a puppet. But I still believe that this 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 is this bear is real, uh, and and Sweep is real, and Sue's real. So I always felt that I was chatting uh, to them. It wasn't a case of it's I don't know, just something that's there. I mean, it's exactly. I think it's exactly with Dusty. Dusty's. Theoretically, he's just a bit, he's just a bin, but you talk, you, talk, you talk and interact with him when you're on the stage. So I guess that's, again, it's another thing that's embedded into me. So the, uh, it was very easy for me. Um, Barney from Putney had also asked, uh, was Sooty a massive diva? <laughs> yes, he always had his own suitcase. <laughs> 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 no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, Sandy from Norfolk asks, are there any Panto legends that you're absolutely dying to work with? Uh, I would love to work with uh, Brian Conley. That would be a Panto legend I would love to work with. Um, uh, uh, certainly, uh, I'm just trying to think. Um, I mean, I was very lucky. Certainly, uh, uh, Panto, um, great. And I was so lucky to work with him with the Patton Brothers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, who, uh, for those who don't know, they're the older brothers to the Chuckle Brothers. Um, and they started uh, way before them. And they were actually a foursome before they split off. Um, and they came together as a four with the Chuckle Brothers. And then they noticed that they could get sort of better gigs but split. So they decided to split and said, look, do you mind if we keep Chuckle? And they kept Patton. And then the rest, as I say, is... Is, is history really. Um, but no, they were uh, fantastic to work with. They worked with my dad a few a few times prior, but they were just a complete variety package in one. Tap dancers, uh, song and dance men, uh, the straight man and the silly man. It was just fantastic to watch. So in that way, I guess, I suppose I have already been there, but Brian Conley would be another one that I would love to uh, work with in the Panto Legend Department, yes. Uh, and finally, um... We may have already covered some of this, uh, but um, Dave from South London. Um, aside from your dad, which light entertainers, past and present, do you most admire? Uh, I love um, uh, Bradley Walsh, I would say. I'd say he's, he's sort of one of the entertainers from, <clears throat> excuse me, from that sort of similar era to my dad, who's sort of now in the modern uh, time, I guess, really. Uh, uh, yeah, I very much like um, Bradley Walsh and the fact that he's sort of 
he can do a bit of everything really. Yeah. He's a comic, he's a singer, he's a he's an actor, yeah. he's a game show host. So uh yes, I'd say definitely. Thank you so much for joining us for this, Danny. It's been a real pleasure talking no, to you. No, thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for those questions as well. <laughs> Ooh, hot seat in here. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Rogers, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Paddy. You've been listening to Dark Unicorn in Conversation with Danny Rogers, written, presented and edited by Paddy Cooper, theme music by Curtis Batson. Special thanks to the estate of James Lipton, Paul Holman Associates, the Lather Pavilion, the Rogers Family Photo Archive, the Royal National Children's Springboard Foundation, the Reedham Children's Trust, ITV Central News and Yorkshire Television. The series is executive produced on behalf of Dark Unicorn Productions Limited by Alan Estatton. COVID-19 presents one of the greatest threats to theatre in living memory. The performing arts need you now more than ever. Please, consider supporting our work by becoming a patron, with packages starting at just £50 per year to be a rainbow unicorn. Just visit darkunicorn.org. Science helps us solve problems, but creativity helps us cope with them. Please don't let the performing arts be another casualty of the pandemic. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.